to the Academy of Esports podcast. I'm sitting around a table with people from the ISTE conference. I just got to sit in a very excellent session that, is, that had a variety of people, a variety of different perspectives and resources and ideas. And I wanted to, uh, I recorded the session that I'll be sharing with the people who are on the committee or on the panel. And if they wish and will allow me the opportunity, I'm not putting you on the spot, you can say no. But if you wish, I'd love to be able to also feature your your panel on the podcast, not as me doing it, but as kind of an introduction to this, because I would like to take um, this opportunity for us to dive in a little deeper, because a lot of people in the room are first timers, they're kind of learning about what esports is, but we kind of know it from a little bit deeper perspective, and this is the opportunity for us to talk about. So if we go around the room and just kind of introduce um, for the people on the on the podcast, go ahead. Yeah, so my name is Jay Collins, I'm uh, from Hathaway Brown School in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I put together this panel and really the questions that we most often get asked about esports are kind of the what, why, and how. What is esports? Why are we doing it? And how do you do it? Um, and really the answers to all of those questions are multifaceted, right? They're different based on your context, based on your city, based on your situation. And so we just try to bring a diversity of perspectives to this so that we can talk. Esports is not just one thing. It's all, all of the different things that people are doing. So. I'm Liz Newberry. Um, before I became the director of the Serious Games Initiative at the Wilson Center, I was a lonely grad student working on a dissertation about esports. Uh, my name is Tristan Wheeler. I work for the Cleveland Public Library, and I am the lead of the uh, Cleveland Public Library's gaming and esports team. Okay, I am Bradford Harris. I am a lead trainer for the digital learning specialist in my school district, and. I'm not an expert like the, the, this wonderful panel here, but I consider myself a baby in learning all of this. So I cross between the curriculum side and the technical hardware side. So I'm able to answer any questions from teachers to superintendents in my district on what this is all about as I'm still learning it as well. My name is Steve Isaacs. I teach game design and development at um, a middle school and this coming year also high school um, in Baskin Ridge, New Jersey. And I got real excited about the possibility of esports um, a long time ago. And then, you know, I started seeing articles come up about, you know, scholarships and things. And I was like, ooh, you know what? Now we got something like we can really kind of leverage this. And it's been fun to watch the you know, watch it grow and be part of it. Um, I have a game club at my middle school and esports team there, as well as an esports program at our high school, and it's just growing. Well, to kind of get us started, I guess, to kind of dive a little deeper into what was discussed from the panel, um, I know that there's been discussions about how do we spell it, and we're down to, <laughs> you know, those kind of, of uh, uh, semantics. But, um, you know, there's a lot of deeper topics that are starting to come up lately, especially when we're talking about the climate and the culture of esports. There is a sense of toxicity, but from my own personal experience, my students seem to push against the toxicity. They seem to know and recognize when things are toxic and know when to ask for help. But we, we are also dealing with companies right now, Riot Games being one of them, which has a very public, toxic culture. Um, there was a lot of questions on the panel, or there was points made on the panel about um, the uh, objectification of women in, in Riot Games. Now, I, I, I pushed back to on, on that a little bit because uh, in my experience, young men, it's one of the few times where you see young men choose female characters in their games where, where young men are, 
are picking characters based on their abilities, not because of how they look necessarily. But what what is what is the what is the thing that we can do, I guess, as educators right now when we do come against things like Riot Games, where there is a culture question, where there is a like I couldn't I couldn't go to a school board and say, hey, I want to do business with Riot Games right now. Because if I took if I went to a school board and said I want to do business with Riot Games and they just do an internet search, they're going to see the news stories that pop up about this. So how do we as a group come together and say, look, there's a problem and we've got to address it? Or we can, how do we, I guess, best address? Because colleges are still picking League of Legends. It's still one of the most popular games in the world. But how do we as educators really start to tackle, I guess, the Riot Games question? Maybe, maybe I'll start just by saying that um, separate from Riot, there is an importance to keep power around game selection, game structures, game tournaments in, with educational institutions and collections of teachers if that power instead resides in game companies um, or other private uh, corporations, then they're going to push their products, right? And we have less ability then to say no to a particular product. So specifically with Riot, when Riot um, invests in different uh, esports structures, uh, provides grants, um, that's all great, right? Um, but it does make some folks uh, stuck with them as a platform regardless. And so um, if there's a way to divest some of that power and spread it around and say that we are schools approaching as a block to speak with them rather than them, them coming by and picking schools and leagues out of, out of the air and funding them, I think that will retain some of the ability to be more agile about saying no. Uh, I just wanted to start on the point of talking about the uh, toxicity in that community, uh, which is kind of a known thing. Um, that's a, a bigger issue than just that game. Um, it, I think it comes from the uh, anonymity of the internet in general. Um, you have a certain type of toxicity that exists because of that. So on the flip side, talking about our offline gatherings of uh, players, the general idea, um, the general attitude is automatically different because there is no anonymous everyone seeing each other. So therefore, uh, that's where more of the home training comes into play. Uh, and so I, I just wanted to start with that point and just say there is a big difference when you have esports or competitive gaming things in an offline setting versus an online setting because of that point first and foremost. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, we, we, we are, a lot of us are angry or upset or we're, we're questioning what Ryan is doing. And, and I, when I think back on it, schools for the longest time have said, especially about the internet, especially things about social media and stuff, we're going, hey, we don't want anything to do with this. We're going to throw our hands up. We're going to bury our heads in the sand. We're going to back away from this social media thing because if we don't do it, then it doesn't exist and it's not going to impact us. And, and Riot, the people who are running Riot right now grew up in an environment and a time where schools and adults were like, that's a kid's space. We don't know anything about it. We don't care to know anything about it. We're going to stay away from it. And I think what we see is Lord of the Flies has grown up. The Lord of the Flies experience of the online toxicity is now a 20, 30-year-old male who feels like, hey, I've been doing this since I was 10. I've been getting away with it since I was 10. What's the problem? Well, I, I mean, you bring up a great point there, and um, so, so what you're saying, you know, in a sense, is that because we didn't address it back then, we allowed it to 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 kind of 
create itself, right? And my big thing is, you know, here we have an opportunity to teach and to hopefully impact change. Now, too bad we couldn't do that um, 10, 15 years ago because, you know, I do believe that we need to bring social media into school and, and we have an opportunity there to in a very authentic manner teach you know proper online behavior digital citizenship um, with regards to toxicity I believe we have a, a responsibility to kind of discuss it head on and 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 guide our students you know luckily you know in that environment kind of like what what Tristan was saying is is we we can have rules around it. We can teach, you know, proper behavior. We can, um, you know, moderate that. Uh, hopefully, that impacts some kind of change that will be, be will carry home, you know, with our students as well. But I don't. I I'm vehemently opposed to that idea of the not accepting the liability and sending kids home, just like you pointed out to have these things happen, you know, not on our watch, mm -hmm. you know. The, the, uh, the big thing about the experience that I see, the opportunity we have in these sports, is you've got, um, you've got an opportunity to engage kids in positive ways, right? You've got an opportunity to honor the importance of play and to have a positive adult interaction, which a lot of these kids are not having in their gaming experiences right now. We're seeing it at the library, we're seeing it at the middle school, high school, we're seeing it in our, in our school environments. Um, I don't know if at the federal level you've seen anything or if this is this is something where uh, I'm talking to uh, Dr. Liz Newberry here. Um, is there anything that the feds see as is opportunity for growth in this space, opportunity for esports to come into this space to maybe battle some of these things or, or help with mental health issues? Um, uh, anything that... So that, those are all great questions. I would, Sorry, I didn't even throw so many. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> totally fine. Um, there's only a... I would say I'm probably one of the rare birds in the federal sphere of people who know what esports is. First okay. of all, I think mostly it's being studied from a um, its impact on the economy. So I have some colleagues okay. at the Department of Commerce who are uh, analyzing the economic impact of esports, but I don't know as much about any efforts to really use it for education or pro-social or anything along those lines so there were two two things that come to mind because i'm a i'm, an, I'm a former fed um so one <laughs> do you say recovering or just uh, no very proud very okay. proud of that's um, so jay collins everybody. yeah <laughs> and uh when i was at the smithsonian uh, right after i left uh, they hosted the first uh, federal esports event, actually, at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. So they had Boys and Girls Club of America come out and play, I believe, NBA 2K at the American Art Museum, which is a wonderful way to get um, young men from around D.C. into an art museum, which sometimes is hard, as the American Art Museum That's a cool idea. And, um, and then, um, Liz and I, Dr. Newberry and I, actually wrote an article together um, talking about the ramifications of rapid... Um, the rapid adoption of esports scholarship programs, because that was a real um, interesting point for the Department of Education. We're creating a scholarship program, and it's only affecting a certain demographic. Um, that's an equity issue, right? Um, depending on if people get into schools or not. So um, now some of the priorities shifted since then, but um, but yeah, not so many people. Yeah, at the current moment, I'm not aware of any. 
particular efforts on that front. So to speak on the scholarship point, because that's something I've talked about in the past too, and I just maybe pick your brains, maybe you've got some insight on this, because my thought with the scholarships was you've got an imbalance of females to males in colleges right now. It's about 44% male and 56% female. My understanding is the reason why we still see, especially at the division three level, you still see football programs growing, even though football, even though high school and middle school and Pop Warner football is on the decline. Um, and the brain studies say, you know, the damage we're causing at a high school level. But they see the opportunity now to grow that male demographic at the collegiate level through esports. Do you see any indicators of that? Well, I would say that um, one, college esports scholarship programs are rapidly growing, right? So I wrote an article for Ed Surge on this, and uh, the first one was in 2014. Uh, when we looked at it a few years later, it was about 30 programs. Then when uh, Dr. Newberry and I wrote that article in 2017, it was about 70. Um, then it jumped to 180. So really, it's over doubling um, each, each year right now, um, which is important to note. The marketing for it um, that I've seen, at least anecdotally, primarily centered on young white men, um, now that matches the demographics of the titles that they're typically playing, right? So you mentioned League of Legends before, which is primarily a, a young white male audience. Um, and so there is a question, I think, of if those scholarships are primarily going to that demographic, do we really need another scholarship program dedicated to bringing more young white men into college? Um, or are there ways that we can diversify that um, so that it tackles multiple demographics? Um, but how do we do well, that? Well, I don't know how to really specifically answer that question. Steve, we've talked a, a lot about this. I, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of I'm doing my research. And I come from a district where it's very diverse. There are a, a lot of people who look like me, but uh, black, black and brown children, but they don't see themselves in that. Either they don't see themselves in that field or they don't know about it or they don't have access to what they need so going back to the riot games and all the other issues I'm looking at it as a standpoint of okay so if I'm trying to bring something like that into my district first off what are my core values of my district with anything that I'm bringing to my district how does it align to what our mission is and what our core value is before we present it to anybody have you done your research just just now and find out that this issue with Riot Games? Is that something that I want to bring to the table to my district? That's going to be an absolute no because it doesn't align with what the vision that I have for my district. Mm -hmm. But now I'm the, I'm the expert that people have asked me to research and look at, look at these things. Take it slow. Tell me what you find out. This is what's going on. Why don't we have more women? Why don't we have black boys and brown boys and black girls and brown girls in these arenas? Well, this is what this is what's going on right now. Why are we, why is it being geared toward white males and scholarships? I need to be able to answer those questions. And when I'm starting the clubs, how am I going to target different children? Not well, not just a children of color. We're even talking about the the LGB, uh, uh, I'm stumbling over my words, <laughs> you know, the, the, and the communities to make sure that, hey, we're reaching a broader audience. How does it align with the curriculum? So I mean, I have to answer all of those questions. I just say all that to say is, um, whatever we decide to do to move forward with this into schools, we have to do our research and we have to be 
mindful of what we're showing our, our kids. Tristan, you you want to say um, I just actually wanted to say a lot of the same things. Uh, I, I would probably start with access first um, yes. because I think access is uh, one of the biggest issues with uh, gaming, especially when you start to talk about a wide variety of gaming, high-end gaming and things like that. So that's one of the main points that we have really tried to tackle uh, in Cleveland at the uh, Cleveland Public Library is providing um, some of the best equipment that you can get for no cost. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, there is a culture change. It, there is the uh, idea of um, trying to encourage the youth to let them know, hey, this is open to you. You yeah. can do this. Um, you can be the best at this. And that kind of like shift in mindset, uh, uh, talking about the point of young um, African-American uh, boys and girls, or in general, young uh, people of color and in uh, different minority groups, I think that they there's, there aren't enough uh, examples first. Right. That's one of the really big things. And it's it's kind of like most things in life, you know, there's a, a support system that has to kind of like, almost like green lighted for them. Um, and so that's just, it's, it's a culture change really. It's just a matter of changing the culture. And so that's one of the things that we spoke about uh, during the panel discussion. And I think it's one of the most prominent things. And then lastly, uh, on top of that, I also, uh, mentioned the point of um, it being a place where people feel comfortable, you know, exactly. uh, letting them feel some ownership over, you know, hey, this is our space and this is, these are the games that we want to play. Uh, like you were saying at Halfway Brown, um, the uh, young ladies there, there was a, the students there as a whole, uh, they had their input, it was listened to, and then they had some control over it. And from there, who knows where it's gonna go. So I think it's a combination of all of those things that's gonna have a huge impact in the future. And that's a, and that's a big point too, because we're, we are not the content experts a lot of times. We're coming into these situations where the kids know the games better than we do, they coach others better than, right. than anybody else. And we don't want to trample over their intrinsic motivations to want to be part of something. You know, this is something that they love and obviously have a vested interest. And when we start putting our extrinsic motivations onto the, start beating them up with our extrinsic motivations, now it starts to shift what they like doing, what they love doing. Mm -hmm. Totally flips their mind. They go, okay, well, I don't like this anymore. And it's going to push them away. Well, and I, I, I would just say to you, I love the way that you put that. And I love sitting across from the library person, right? Because I think it's just like reading, right? We want kids to read. We want them to read as much as they can. Um, but we kind of don't want them to read the same thing all the time, right? They should read exactly. other perspectives, read with other groups of people and all that sort of stuff. It's important to get out there and read and play different things. But as Gary Steger said earlier this week, you don't have to put a assessment on everything that you read. Absolutely not. Okay. I'll tell you, the, uh, in, in our, I oversee libraries where we receive public uh, school, uh, unified school district, the books that are checked out in middle school, by by large, the, the genre that has always picked most, graphic novels. Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, you told the librarian you should buy graphic novels, that librarian would look at you with cross eyes and get mad at you and like, why are we bringing in graphic novels? Why would we bring in comic books? It's, it was a fascinating uh, turn of events now that's happened in the last 10, 15 years. Maybe you've seen that, Tristan. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we definitely know. And you know what, I just thought uh, there was one other point I wanted to make, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to harp oh, on fine. this, but uh, 
the other thing too is when you start to talk about the world of tech in general, you know, software companies and everything, um, there is an, uh, an uh, that idea does not. I, I don't want to say it doesn't exist, but it's not a strong idea within those minority groups that this okay. is a place for you. And okay. so that's something that also needs to change. You know, gaming is just a part of a much bigger right. picture. And, and, you know, when you were talking about it before, I was almost, um, you know, shocked to think about that idea that you presented that, uh, that maybe this is being used as a vehicle to bring, to get more men in college, right? If that is true, let's say, it, it so further perpetuates the problem. It's kind of disturbing to think then what we would be doing is focusing and featuring these, you know, look at these men that are making it into college. Now, granted, there would it wouldn't necessarily be exclusive, but that would be like a statement, right? Um, so I think that, you know, contributes to the, the, you know, we're so, we're trying to, we're really so sensitive to the issue of, of inclusivity that Gosh, I hope that's not, you know, the case. And then, if I could touch on your your other question, was interesting about how, um, you know, you were talking about the, you know, like so that the kids. This is a very interesting space right now. Like, I love games. I'm not really qualified to coach many of these games. You know, um, I was talking to a woman before the panel, and she was asked by her district to coach an esports team. She doesn't know anything about esports. She was, I mean, she was very happy to be at our panel to learn a little bit mm -hmm. to, I guess, get herself ready to coach. I don't know. But, you know, so I brought up, you know, to her that it's, you know, we need to have the right, you know, in other words, some traditional sports, you know, somebody who's, who had played football, you know, 30 years ago might be very qualified to coach football, right? No, or not. <laughs> but many we got a minor in coaching. But I, but I think, <laughs> so we're, we're at an interesting space where we don't, in, in the educational system, we tend to um, take coaches from within, like teachers that can coach. Right now, we can't necessarily do that with esports. Um, I feel competent advising my esports club, but not coaching. So we've gotten outside coaching, and luckily, organizations are starting to see the, the importance of that. So there's mentorship things happening. But I think we do have to understand that we're not we're not the ones necessarily to um, you know we don't want to ruin like you had pointed out our the games our kids are playing by you know thinking we're gonna you know, sail the ship, I don't know. So let me, let me ask this real quick, and then maybe this is a good question for everybody. Right now, is there a rush to implementation? Are schools jumping in without thinking? Now, Bradford, you've got an interesting part because you've been researching this, but is, is there, is there, you guys are good, you guys are good. Is, is, have we, have so many schools now seen all the big flashy news stories and are very happy to get the press release for the one time that, have we reached the moment where schools are jumping in without thinking around what we're really going to use this to do? So uh, I'll say that that is absolutely true of ed tech in general. Sure. Right? Um, it's, that's a problem and a priority. Because there's have. always boxes of magic that people are happy to sell you. Mm -hmm. So that was a priority for us at the Department of Education because schools were investing so much without having any research behind it. So mm -hmm. we actually ended up creating the um, ed tech uh, rapid cycle evaluation coach, which is online, free, government created. 
um, to help people evaluate their ed tech products to see if they actually did what they thought they would. Um, I, I, so my startup, my esports startup, we're actually going to be adapting that and converting it over for esports so that schools can use, and libraries can use this to evaluate their programs. We'll be releasing it for free, but it's a huge problem right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really is a sub-problem of a larger ed tech problem. And Bradford, what are you, you've been working on, on this in the Adeline, is I say it right, Adeline? Alding. Alding, sorry. <laughs> ISD at, near Houston. You've been researching this for a while. What questions are you hoping to answer? I mean, what are you just coming together and saying, these are all the things I found and just kind of... No, it's not more of these are... At first, it did start like a here, here are all the things I found. And I'm going to say with my district, um, we actually are playing it smart. There is no, oh my God, we get, we, District A is trying to do it, so mm -hmm. we want to be able to beat District A. We're trying to figure out how does this fit into what we as a district are trying to do. And to answer your question earlier, there is an indeed a rush. District A, B, and C are over here trying to do it. I don't want we need we need to do over here. So when we're going, so when leadership is going to set conference, we can say, oh, we're doing this over here, but we have no idea what this looks like. I will say I I took my son to a particular school, not my district, but I'll just say I took him to a particular school where he wants to compete. I was late, my son was upset, so he didn't get to play, no problem. But um, I said, well, can we at least look at what's going on? Because I want to see for myself what this looks like. So I walked in and I didn't like what I saw. Was it diverse? Yes, it absolutely it was. But it was very chaotic. It didn't seem really well put together. And I wasn't very happy with that. And so I was telling my leader, I said, this is why you asked me to do all this research because somebody sees the excitement and wants to do it. And I think that's great. But are you, what are you really trying to accomplish when you do this? I'm picturing a lunatic running the asylum. It was. Which to me, which was. I'm a person that really likes, no matter, I can be excited about a lot of stuff, and I am excited about a lot of stuff, but I also like organization, and, and I, I like things. It doesn't have to be controlled, but it needs to be organized. And from what I saw, yes, there were students running. I, I applauded that, but it, there was still no order to it. So maybe they were just fresh and brand new. I don't know. I didn't ask all those questions. But, you know, my son looked at me. I looked at him. He's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> but I say all that to say is, you know, I'm, when we're looking at anything that's new, we don't want, we don't want to treat it like it's a fad. Like, for example, we're here at this conference. Mm. And, you know, whatever the new buzzword is, whatever the new toy is, we're gonna go see it and we're gonna figure out do we have the money to adapt it? Why are we doing it? What is the purpose? Who are we reaching? How are we gonna get the data behind that? We have to ask all those questions. How's it gonna benefit our community? How's it gonna benefit our children within the next five to 10 years? Not just because we're doing it for one year, just because it looks good mm. on a piece of paper or it looks good on a tweet. Mm. Yeah, I think we saw a lot of these sort of tensions that what you're talking about come out in the Q&A of our panel. So a lot of teachers are especially concerned about how they implement it. Is it a club? Is it a classroom experience? Is it aligned with curriculum assessment? Or is it um, 
more uh, validated like it would be a sport. It's kind of like the wild, wild west right now. Mm-hmm. There's no one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there's and not there's one goal. Everybody's and there's not one goal. It. That's why it was really, it really bothered me. I, I think what was it, Steve said it where she, he, uh, teacher asked him, like, I, a teacher said, I'm, I'm going to be a coach. But does that teacher even want to do that? Or yeah. Does that teacher even want to be put in that box? You just put that teacher in a box where are they comfortable doing this? Is this something that they want to do? Do they not have to go and play a game to understand it? There's all these, these are questions that I'm going mm-hmm. through my mind that are making me uncomfortable, not because I don't want to play the game, but now you just put me in this box where I got to figure all this out because somebody told me I need to go look. I can't say that uh, there's a rush to implementation uh, on a national level because I don't know for sure. I can only really speak from what I do know locally and Northeast Ohio and a little bit of uh, some other school systems. So I try not to take too much time when I say this, but um, there's a little bit of everything I think that what we're talking about that's, that that contributes to this. So, for example, you were saying that from the federal uh, perspective, they're looking at the commercial or the economic impact of these sports, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then it was just mentioned that in schools, you know, they might look at someone who's uh, coached football for 20, 30 years, right? So I think those two things are causing schools possibly to look at esports and say, okay, which one of these things is most like what we already know? Mm-hmm. And which MOBAs Correct. fall into that? MOBAs like Dota 2, um, Heroes of the Storm, and as we mentioned, League of Legends. Five versus five, everyone gets that. Mm-hmm. And they're, they stood the test of time to some degree. Those mm-hmm. are some of the games that have remained unchanged for a number of years. A lot of the other popular esports titles are fads. They really are. They come into popularity, they're played, and then they kind of fade away to obscurity within a couple of years, in most cases. Uh, Fortnite, we've yet to see what's going to happen with that. So I think that, again, being driven by the economic aspect and then like what's remained the same, that mentality is being applied to esports. And so you often have the same two or three games, really two games, Dota 2 and League of Legends, always at the forefront of this conversation. Really, they should be looking more at the definition of what esports really is. And it's not the same as your typical bread and butter, football, basketball, baseball. They need to really reevaluate how they're thinking about the entire situation. It's almost like the name's wrong. I mean, we call it esports, but that well, was, that can, was, a, it, that it was, a, that was like almost a slam on it originally. But it could be a sport, mm-hmm. but I just think that it should probably be less thought of as a digital version of a sport that we know from the last 50 years. You know, um, every time you talk to somebody about esports, and especially when you start to talk about these mobiles, the first thing that people say in order to get someone to understand, oh, it's five versus five, just like basketball, and there's a point system. You know, that's the way that it's generally explained to people to get them to understand. I think there's uh, there's a little bit of flaw in our approach to that. Yeah, I think that's part of what we we're trying to get at with the panel is that there's a diversity of ways to participate in esports, um, and the. Um, the what you're saying about there being like a handful of games that have 
been around for more than five or ten years. Yeah, yeah. we didn't have the test of time, but that's, that's what, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are people playing fat games. That's okay too, yeah. right? Like, yeah. we don't pull a Absolutely. book out of the library because it's only going to be popular for two years, right? Yeah. Like, because people are still enjoying it. That's yeah. that's totally valid. So. Um, but that doesn't feel like traditional sports because traditional sports feels like we've got four or five things and, you know, we got a tennis, tennis club and a, and a football team and a basketball team and golf. Don't forget chess club. Uh, and chess club. <laughs> well, and field hockey at HB. But, um, but I mean, you know what, that's not how esports is and, um, and it's not a monolithic entity no matter what the game companies might want you to think. Yes. Yeah, but I would also point out that historically we've had to redefine what a sport is consistently. So I'm thinking of like the conversations around Title IX. Or when around that happened, there's a couple of studies that looked at the positionality of cheerleading, for example, or and then more recently the examples of competitive poker or extreme sports. So I would just point out that the definition of what a sport is has been continually updated over time. So we shouldn't say that esports would be an exception to that rule. That's fair. That's a good it's, point. It's, it's a little, it moves a little bit faster. Yeah. They definitely it definitely moves at a different rate. Now, Tristan and I know this because Cleveland invented football. So we're, we're here with you. <laughs> yeah. But no Super Bowls. <laughs> no, so I think that's the end of the podcast at this hey, point, right? I am a, I'm a Chicago Bears fan. So now, um, so the answer to this then, because we, we've got issues around diversity we want to address and how we define these sports. I, me personally, I look at this as an opportunity for schools to redefine athletic culture. That's one of the ways Absolutely. that I, I sell this Absolutely. to schools is you have the opportunity to not just say football is, is this, but it's, it, there's other things that kids yeah. can participate. Because the old data, data from 30 years ago says if you get kids involved in extracurricular activities, GPAs go up, attendance goes up. I mean, why would we not want to have more opportunities for kids to participate in things that they connect with? I have had coaches worried about you're gonna take a kid away from my sport. I have a student, she quit softball to play Overwatch and she's happy about it every day, which is a great thing. Um, Jazz is a fantastic player, she does amazing things, she's on one of the top teams in the state of Wisconsin and she happily gave up softball with it. I have this sneaking feeling that high school football is going to go away. I, I played high school football, my father played at Notre Dame. My grandfather played for the New York Giants. That's a hot take. Wow. I will say that take. Here's, I'll tell you why. Here's what. Here's what, what everyone's what, not saying is that the, everyone kind of like, oh, lean back. Here's, here's why. Here's why I say high school football is going to go away. It's because it's going to become so expensive. And the data, schools at some point are going to have to say, we support the development of young minds, right? And we play this sport that we know contributes to the deviant brain function, metabolism, and brains. We can't have both. And the insurance companies are not, not going to let us do because I'm from Texas. <laughs> I said, and, I said, and I said those exact things in Austin, Texas. I said the exact same thing in Austin, Texas. But I said, what I will see, though, is it becomes more like a club model where European soccer, where it's not going to be high schools necessarily have it, but it's going to be where it is more popular as like a club sport. But that's my take. So what are schools going to pivot to as opportunities for their kids to participate in things? And yes, football is, the, you know, $750,000 for a tournament field sounds great and all but if you're only using it 12 times a year and maybe for some other things it's kind of a limited thing but my bigger question is is the answer for all this diversity girls teams 
are we going to have just girls only teams? Because we had all these issues about how to bring it up via the Twitter, aren't you? (laughs) I'm bringing it up because it was a hot topic today. And I think there's some people who really need to hear reasons around why we feel about this that we do. Like girls only esports teams? I'm just trying to make sure. Girls only leagues. I'm trying to make sure that in I the understand. realm of both, in the realm of both, you when we started talking about this conversation this morning via Twitter, I think it was my something was in the realm of both. League events. I have this. one question. Sure, sure. Why? I asked the same question. Because the girls I've talked to have said they don't want that. I think there's a difference between creating a safe space for people who are otherwise not having a conversation at the table and then imposing an infrastructure that is separate but not equal. So one of the sentiments, again, loosely following that Twitter conversation because my internet has not been working that great here at ISTE, one of the things that I think I would pull from that is start with what the girls want. Mm-hmm. Start with what women want. There are so many women professional players out there, or even semi-professional players that are working in esports and have been part of that for a long time. So I think starting with what they they would want, I think that would be the first place. And I so a hundred percent. And I, I work in an all-girls school and the perspective from my students so far, at least, is that they enjoy going to an all-girls school. Um, they appreciate that that allows them to be themselves um, without the male gaze and other aspects that may uh, make it harder for them to participate in some activities. Um, they they appreciate the sisterhood that they find and everything else. Um, they, they enjoy being in a girls' school and having a girls' team. That being said, they don't want to be told that they are less than. They yeah. don't want to be kicked over to their to a different league. They don't want to be told that they're in some sort of, you know, um, special thing to help them out because that's what they really need. They don't want outreach to them. Um, they don't want to be treated like, hey, there are a lot of boys playing this game and we need to train you up so that you know how to play the boys' games. What they want is to be able to play their own games. Yeah, one of the cautions I would have is separate because oh, well, the girls can't keep up, which is patently not true, but it has been a consistent conversation that's come up, especially as a woman in this space, being told that I wouldn't be able to participate because I couldn't biologically navigate a space in a game system or type fast enough. You said that was a real comment, you actually heard. Those are real comments that I've encountered at major league um, tournaments. So I read and heard those comments, too, and I was looking at it from... And going, going back to the why is important. I don't think there should be a, a separate league at all. But I see the reason why people are asking that question because women don't feel safe. Yeah. Digitally in the digital, they don't feel safe. They're being right. They feel like they need to be. Sorry, this They need to be. They want to see women in the in the bras and the, the underwear, like 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 the cosplayers. That's what that's what I've read and seen, which is totally ridiculous. But that's not esports. That's not esports. That is not esports. So some of them feel like, well, I don't want to be harassed. So I want I want to be put over here. 
Well, I mean, we, it just me, you like you had some thoughts on this. You, you look like you're holding back, and you don't have to. <laughs> I, have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts, mostly because, and I, again, I, I really am going to try to keep this brief, but um, back home in Cleveland, uh, we recently had an event, and we have a lot of women in our local community that are not only involved in the esports scene, but are leaders in the esports scene. And one of them, uh, Stella, who was a part of Outer Haven Esports, one of her statements um it's just coming to mind now where she is encouraging more women to come to in-person events because there are certain things, going back to our earlier part of this uh, talk, there are certain behaviors that exist in the online space that generally don't occur in the offline space. So some of the treatment that women get in the online space when face-to-face goes away. I can't say that 100% of it does, but a lot of it does go away because in that environment, there's no space for that. Um, so, when talking about esports, competitive video games, I don't, I cannot fathom an idea or a reason why you would separate women from men. It just, I just, I can't. I, I, and personally, I just can't see a reason why you would do that. But it goes back to the whole thing with, hey, we. If you're looking at, because again, that word sports is in there. And we separate men and women's sports. And, and I, I could and I yeah, could see where yeah. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm yeah, just saying yeah, that yeah. there's people who are in positions of power or authority who are going to say, this is how we're going to set it up. And it's going to be a top-down thing. And we're going to authoritarily set it up this way. I hey, there's, a, there's a lot of things in sports that I would change if I could. And guess what? Esports, we're just starting up. So we can yeah, find right. the best place yes, for it. Absolutely. So. Before, I, and I know everybody gave so much of your time today. I really loved having a conversation. One last thing, positive. Can you very quickly give a quick positive thing that you've seen in esports that is just like, this is like, it's like the thing that makes you smile that the experience has been really good for you. Do you have something? I, I mean, I love that the nine teams that we had in Cleveland, schools and libraries, rural and urban, private and public. I mean, just any way you cut it, all different folks. And uh, they all had fun competing. And at the end of the year, they all wanted to, to, the students all wanted to meet the other students. And I think to me, that's really powerful, bringing communities together over something that could be divisive and instead um, makes them want to expand their horizons and move outside of their bubbles. That's great. Yeah, I would sort of along those same lines say one of the things that makes me so excited about esports is its capacity for pro-social for positive impacts on people's lives whether they are more of a mild fan don't play at a competitive rate or whether they're even a competitive player this ability to connect to a broader community both local and also abroad is incredible um, to follow up with Jay's statement there, um, and possibly not even using any of the words that he just used, uh, but uh, in our community, we've seen young and old, uh, all genders, and from many different backgrounds, um, play together, have a lot of fun with genuine smiles, and as a result, feel like they belong in that community. I was going to piggyback on that because I've seen it where now parents, not that they weren't at, at any, not that they haven't been, parents and children are now in the same space hmm. communicating. I want to see what you're doing and I want to see why you're so passionate about this. So now 
I want to be a part of your passion. I don't have to be the expert, but now you're allowing me into this media space and I'm learning from you. And we're, we can learn from each other. So I'm excited about that. And I've got a very similar one. Mine very quick as well. Uh, we had our state finals up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And a grandmother came up from Racine and she was watching her grandson play in a finals of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And she's literally hanging on my arm like this. And she looks at me and she's like, this is so exciting. And I look back at her and I go, I know. And so it was one of those, again, those moments where finally an adult got what was so exciting to the kids. Like they finally understood it. Guys, thank you. And guys, gals, everybody, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Bradford, um, Tristan, Dr. Liz, Jay, and uh, Steve is back there. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter, at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N. And through the Academy of Esports account, at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember... You can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.